Welcome to Emory Innovators, a series of conversations between the Hatchery, Emory University's Center for Innovation, and Emory alumni who are innovation leaders or entrepreneurs, or have taken innovative approaches to designing their careers and disrupting their industries. Thanks for being here today, and welcome to Emory Innovators from the Hatchery Emory Center for Innovation, a program that showcases conversations with Emory faculty, staff, and alumni who work in innovation and entrepreneurship or have taken innovative approaches to designing their careers and disrupting their industries. Today, we're excited to welcome Sharon Close, PhD, Assistant Professor at the Nell Hodgson Woodruff School of Nursing at Emory University. Dr. Close's clinical research is focused on pediatric primary care, developmental pediatrics, management of chronic conditions of genetic origin, and variations of sex chromosome and nuploidy. I'm going to go ahead and get her to help <laughs> me with that one after. <laughs> she is a hands-on practitioner of innovation who has prototyped many products for improving healthcare, which include a human mimetic cuddling device to simulate warmth and touch for hospitalized infants and children, known as cuddle care, a biologic-based automotive device to prevent hot carb deaths, known as koala or carbon dioxide-assisted life alert, a cool care, a silicon-based itch and pain relief device to deliver cutaneous symptom relief, FemCare, an external urinary catheter device intended to reduce the need for indwelling catheters that are associated with catheter-related urinary tract infections, and Testo Gel Dot, an absorbable polymer patch designed to deliver transcutaneous testosterone for androgen-deficient patients. She is a board-certified pediatric nurse practitioner with an MS, uh, or excuse me, a BS, MS, and PhD from Columbia University School of Nursing in New York. She's a fellow in the New York Academy of Medicine and the American Academy of Nursing. Dr. Close teaches pediatric primary care in the School of Nursing and practices the School of Medicine Department uh, in the School of Medicine Department of Human Genetics. So, Sharon, uh, as someone I've known for a while now, it's just such a pleasure to welcome you to Emory Innovators. Thank you very much, Shannon. It's so great to be here. Um, having some concentrated time to engage with innovation for me is like taking my brain to the beach to play in the sand and the water. So I say for the next several minutes, let's just go play. Okay, that's perfect. So uh, in that optic, I'd love to start uh, the conversation by having you tell us a bit more uh, about your day-to-day -day responsibilities and areas of focus in the School of Nursing. Sure. So my primary responsibilities here at the School of Nursing involve uh, teaching, research, service to the school, Emory University, and also to my profession. Uh, my teaching area of focus is pediatric primary care and genetics, while my research interests focus on mixed methods approaches to studying pediatric and family experiences with managing chronic conditions. So it's in that capacity that I'm constantly thinking about patient and family-centered ways to improve health outcomes, as well as indicators of quality of life in their day-to-day. So this, this actually brings up something for me that's been top of mind uh, recently. And, and we recently had the opportunity to uh, see and work to support more projects and ventures emerging from the School of Nursing and uh, the Rollins School of Public Health. 
And I've been struck by the fact that faculty, staff, and students in both of these schools are human-centered designers uh, by their very nature. And uh, these are fields that are entirely focused on human needs, on firsthand and constant customer discovery, and on finding innovative and scalable solutions to meet these needs. So I wonder if you could reflect a bit on how nursing has both required and trained you to be an innovator. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, nurses are amazing at seeing more than a diagnosis or the person before them. We take in the whole, reading between the lines to discover the depth and the breadth of a person's health issue, the suffering related to it, and the challenges presented in terms of how we define care. Um, nursing has required that we think about innovative and scalable solutions because frankly, we don't have enough tools or hands to get the job done. So the old adage, necessity is the mother of invention comes into play here. Um, it was during COVID, for example, that it was nurses who lengthened IV lines to bring them out into the hallway to minimize exposure risk in the workplace. And they also created ways to keep urinary um, uh, catheter bags outside the room and off the floor. Um, my own project, Nice Cuddle Care, came when I was a student at Columbia University School of Nursing, caring for a little boy who had AIDS with secondary tumors all over his body. His mother was frequently not present at all, and the only way this little guy could sleep was to be held between the tumors and cuddled. So as I rocked him with periods of care, I began to conceptualize a, a device that would um, mimic human cuddling and comfort. As I sat there in the rocking chair, I thought, something important is happening here. I'm radiating heat, he's radiating heat. He can feel my heartbeat, he can feel me holding him, and I am taking the pressure off of his painful tumors. Um, so nursing prepared me to recognize the nuances of human suffering that are not easily measurable uh, or treatable given what we have, and yet have great impact for patients. Um, in the past, distinct training and innovation has not been a formal part of nursing, but our profession is evolving, um, especially here in our School of Nursing at Emory. Um, this week, Emory's uh, Senior Vice President for Research, Dr. Deb Bruner, who is herself a nurse, gave a talk, and in it, she reminded us of the power of the words, inspiration, innovation, and impact. So our current nursing program in Emory is rapidly adapting our curricula to expose students to the opportunities we have to be agents of change in healthcare, to be those inspirators, innovators, and impactors. I, that is just such an inspiring story and set of sort of guiding principles. Um, and I think, again, it really reinforces the human-centered component of the work you do as nurses, as well as as innovators, and really highlights the challenges of scaling um, some of your innovations, right? I mean, that is such a personal uh, solution and the fact that you found the potential uh, product to, to help deliver some of that sort of human care is really remarkable to me. But what I'll say is, while that on-the-fly innovation to improve outcomes is um, already a, a very advanced skill set, the challenges of actually developing and launching a commercial solution are far greater. Um, not only do you need to define the problem and uh, very carefully and identify problem-solution fit, 
prototype and test the solution, figure out uh, solution market fit and model your business plan, figure out how to protect your IP, manufacture and sell through, uh, and so much more. Uh, but I know from our previous conversations that tenure track faculty in a field like nursing are, are perfectly positioned to tackle some of those challenges. For example, the seeing the patients with real problems, uh, it, true, which is of course human-centered design in the truest sense, the amazing colleagues and resources when it comes to exploring uh, problem solution fit. And yet universities are, are highly geared towards research and teaching. And as you get closer to commercialization, it feels like it might be harder to align your day-to-day -day responsibilities with the challenges of getting something to market. So I wonder if you could talk more about those challenges and maybe provide a case study from one of the product ideas you've worked on. Absolutely. Um, first of all, nurses identify patient-centered clinical problems on a daily basis. And this is what each of my innovation and innovative ideas have, has come from. Uh, the first project that came to prototype was the development um, that was in a collaboration with the Georgia Tech Master's Capstone Program. So I worked with a team of Georgia Tech students. I taught them about human suffering and they taught me about building machines. Um, and this was to develop the prototype that um, moved through this complicated process of what I call iterations on a budget because they only have so much money to produce something even though it might have uh, diverted or departed a little bit from my original conceptual design. So uh, they built Cuddle Care, and Cuddle Care was shown at the Georgia Tech Expo in 2016. Um, it received some local and national attention, including inquiries from rehabilitation hospitals and skilled nursing facilities and home care agencies. But once it's publicly shown, the student prototype, the project as it was seen, was no longer eligible for a patent application. So um, the student prototype was not something that I could develop. However, their prototype was not based on my original concept, which probably would cost a lot more money. So there is a path for me to continue. But the problem is spending time on innovation that um, there's really no time to do it. These projects are often done and a person's what we call own time. But the responsibilities of being a teacher and a researcher at a tier one university like Emory is that personal time is also used for students developing new modes of teaching, conducting research, writing manuscripts and grants, and all of those other things. So to innovate for the real healthcare marketplace, networking, and the business of actually building prototypes with teams is work that must be done in the course of a business day. And our days are usually filled to the brim with primary responsibilities. Um, and so it's very difficult to carve out time to actually do the work. Another challenge or a real barrier to some faculty-driven innovation is that innovation does not count towards the achievement of tenure. It doesn't matter how many patents or businesses a person has launched, it does not move the the needle towards tenure. So it's kind of a disincentive to be an innovative because there's no time to do it. And there's really no credit other than your personal satisfaction for having um, taken a, a project from beginning to launch to market. So I do want to come back 
uh, in a minute to this question of personal satisfaction and also this um, nursing focus on human need, because it feels like both of those have continued to drive you forward, despite the fact that there are obvious um, challenges associated with your day-to-day -day and, and then, uh, you know, sort of uh, working through all of those pieces and still taking something further down towards market. But before we get there, you said something else that was really interesting to me that I want to go back to. And you, you spoke about the, uh, the program, the collaborative program with Georgia Tech as you know, sort of where human suffering meets technology. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so interesting to me how relevant that is to describing virtually every innovation we're seeing in the marketplace. Now, the nature of suffering can be very different. Some human needs are, are much greater and deeper than others. And I think the ones you see as a nurse are. Um, I wonder if you could just reflect for a moment on your thoughts on that intersection of where human suffering meets let's call it uh, modern change uh, as opposed to technology and how that continues to propel you. Absolutely. So I, I think what was really interesting about this project was when I first met with the team, they were all gung-ho for developing their original concept of building this machine, but they had no understanding of pain. They had no understanding of, of um, isolation and desperation and hopelessness. And I remember the very first day that we met and I described the little boy that was the inspiration for cuddle care, they were actually in tears because they really didn't understand that the thing that they could build could possibly take care of some things that, like I said, are not easily measurable. How do you measure desperation in a person? And yet, if you're caring for someone who is so sick and you see the desperation, it's something you want to address and help to mitigate. And so that was um, a really treasured experience of mine. And then for me to have them put together the pieces parts of the prototype um, in order to do the tasks I was intending, to be able to have radiant warmth to the patient, to be able to cuddle and hold the patient, to be able to feel the heartbeat of another person as this human mimetic device. And so together, we were able to develop a greater understanding of who the user is. And that's all part of innovation. You can't not only know what the problem is, you have to understand who the user or recipient will be and how it will be used. And so we really richly learn together um, about each other's fields. And it really came to a really good prototype. You know, so often we speak about putting the human back in human-centered design, but you've really made that so palpable. I mean, you've literally given that story a heartbeat uh, in a sense that I think is powerful. And yet all of the challenges that you pointed to about going from an idea to uh, a real solution that makes a difference for a patient like that, those challenges are still there. And, and you've been through this process not once, but uh, by counting your biography at least five times um, that you've worked on new product ideas. So you remain fully aware of the challenges, but you keep on moving forward. And so I'm curious what parts of the process remain relatively 
the same each time you develop a product um, from market and which parts might get easier after you've gone through this process once or twice uh, uh, and have gotten closer to launching something successful? That's a great question, Shannon. The, the thing is, I can't stop the ideas. As, as new clinical problems arise, I can't help but think there ought to be a machine, there ought to be a process in order to approve the outcomes um, of that problem. And then there I go. So automatically it's clicking in the background. So what's the same for me each time is what we've come to understand as design thinking. Uh, nurses already do this without knowing that that's what they're doing we are expert at observation and assessment. And so design thinking, which provides a solution-based approach to solving problems, helps us truly in depth identify what the problem is and then try to anticipate who the user of this idea or process or device might be, and then try to identify alternative strategies that might not have been apparent when we first came up with the idea. And that's what really triggers this chain of iterations that make it better and better and better. So um, I would say that through the many iterations and concept development of these former innovations and others that are cooking here in my background, uh, I'm still working through design thinking. So I know from experience that uh, innovators and entrepreneurs get a sense of satisfaction from each creation that they feel sort of hits the mark. But I wonder if there's one of the product ideas that we mentioned at the outset that you're most proud of. And if you could tell us uh, why you feel that one is especially important in some way, either because of the problem it solved, the innovative way you went about solving it, or because you've gotten it closer to market or some other reason. Well, the one that's really important to me, of course, is cuddle care, because I can't help but put that little boy's face and the memory of holding him. I, I doubt seriously that he lived much longer after I took care of him, but it is closest to my heart. And while it's not gone to market yet, um, there is, and while there's market potential for it, I derive happiness and satisfaction imagining the people that this can help. And so that's what keeps me going. Um, while helping patients, it can also help caregivers as well, knowing that there's a practical tool that could be used to diminish suffering. Um, but the one I'm most invested in right now is the automotive device to prevent hot car deaths in people and animals. It is a scourge in our society that we have not figured a way to make something standardized equipment in every single car other than a weight-based solution. Everything is weight-based. Uh, this device that I conceived of is not weight-based. And so it is going to require a tremendous amount of um, technology and also um, design thinking and just the, the logistics behind it in order to launch it. But right now, if I could contribute to finding an answer to preventing hot car deaths, it would be the most satisfying of anything I could do. I mean, one of the things that strikes me is each of the problems you're, you're focused on is such a genuine human concern and they're all powerful potential solutions. I, I wonder, you know, we've, we've talked about the individual solutions and some of the stories associated with them, but in my experience and my conversations with you, 
it's mm -hmm. clear that you are an innovator, not only uh, from a, a thought process and, and kind of solution standpoint, but you're a driving force of innovation in this university as well. And I would just like to maybe shift uh, gears. And uh, I wonder if you could talk more about the innovation strategy, culture and operations work that you're helping to spearhead at the School of Nursing. And in broad strokes, what does that innovation work look like and what are some of the desired outcomes? Mm -hmm. um, it is very exciting what is emerging now in our School of Nursing. We are tremendously invested in innovation of all kinds, including pedagogy, developing and optimizing the use of huge amounts of health data, um, the development of artificial intelligence and machine learning. You don't think nurses would know about that, but we do, we live it. Um, developing beyond state-of-the-art simulation uh, for our uh, clinician, well, for all educators and students actually. And um, really importantly, especially a need in our state is creating new nurse-led models of care and practice so that we can reach um, uh, people who do not have access to care. So our desired outcome with this broad stroke is centered upon creating new forms of healthcare and advanced health understanding while creating new generations, nurses, nurse practitioners, and scientists who will create uh, national impact for all people. I mean, that is such a broad and exciting uh, focus. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the sort of coalition building that it takes to, to envision that sort of uh, scope of work uh, and to begin to build and execute against it. Absolutely. So when we first started this, we thought, yes, we want to be on board and innovation. Innovation is cutting edge. Innovation has to do with things we've never thought of before. So as we got heads together around this, we realized that there are many areas of innovation. Innovation in and of itself is too big. And so we have the health data scientists and their innovation hub. We created these hubs. We have uh, models of practice hub. We have models of practice for this simulation. And so each of these hubs are, are working tirelessly to develop new ideas so that as a whole, we're covering all the bases and we can actually um, facilitate activity and action within the school. And so um, uh, I hope I answered that question. It, we really started with th this concept that's really hard to get your hands around because it's massive. The idea of in innovation is massive. And then how do we take it apart so that we can get work done within these hubs in order to make progress along the way? I think that's uh, it answers it completely. And it's one of the things that I would note just recently, uh, US News uh, released its first ranking of nursing schools uh, and uh, we are top five. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that the strategic visioning and cooperative work of the School of Nursing to achieve excellence is in evidence in uh, that sort of response. 
I wonder though, if we could also shift from the, the macro back to the micro from the kind of strategic vision and, and work to some of the applied cases. And in particular, I'm wondering if um, you could share a few stories of School of Nursing student innovators and uh, what sort of wicked problems, as they say, are they interested in solving? And how are you imagining the process of plugging their innovation needs into the sorts of uh, broader uh, systemic solutions that you're helping to build at the School of Nursing? Absolutely. Um, one of our Doctor of Nursing Practice students, Bridget Hurley, um, recently received a microgrant from uh, the Hatchery to develop uh, what she called a policy advocacy toolkit. And this came in response to her observation that nursing uh, students don't necessarily know how to engage with health policy. So how can you leverage um, what we know about health into health policy unless you know how it works. And so she developed a video, a teaching video that um, helps students recognize the importance of gathering and engaging with their nursing organizations. And in that engagement, then they learn more about policy and that they can actually affect health policy um, by this engagement. So that was one of the things that happened. Um, problems that also um, students wish to solve is how do you create an um, awareness immersion for certain groups that are vulnerable or might not be vulnerable, such as LGBTQIA or students with disabilities or you name it, any kind of vulnerable group. Students are very interested in identifying what a problem might be listening to it and we're trying to teach them how they then can take the break the problem down and see what kinds of innovative ideas they might have for example in increasing awareness either on campus in the community in the state or at a national level so um Another problem that we're trying to engage with is um, issues surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion. What can we do in the real now beyond teaching? What can we do in the real now to promote community, whether it's awareness or um, just innovative ways of engaging people um, with a new vision regarding this? Um, so we're trying right now to develop a pathway to capture these students. Students need to realize that, that they don't have to think in the box. And many of our new students don't anyway. So it's good for them to know that their ideas are not passing ideas. Their ideas are things that can be built upon and that we value that very much. And so we're trying to create a pathway here so that students can come to us either within the hubs or in another way so that we can help direct them to develop their ideas further and then engage with the other opportunities we have on campus for innovation. That's, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, this really sparks for me, something that I've been seeing as something of a trend generationally, which is that our generations tend to see individual situations and solutions more. Whereas a lot of the young innovators we're working with tend to uh, work at very systemic, uh, big picture, identity-based levels of innovation. 
And I wonder if that is a trend that you're also seeing and uh, seeing sort of generational differences with innovators in the School of Nursing, or would you say that the patient focus of nursing, that constant human concern, has led to a greater degree of continuity and innovation in nursing than maybe it would in many other schools or, or markets? Well, the way I would respond to that is that, well, giving you my experience, the generational differences I detect is that the current generation of nursing students are less afraid of barriers. When I was a nursing student, the rules was the rules. You stayed within the rules. You stayed within the boundaries. Here's where you go. Here's where you don't go. But new students now are astute enough to confront barriers and say, why? What's up with that? How come that's a barrier? Why can't we do it this way? And so they learn to develop multi-pronged workarounds. Um, in the past, nurses had less power to take their ideas forward. And this is not the case anymore. I would say that the person focus of nursing confers tremendous continuity that relates to not only healthcare, but most markets. You're, you're, we mostly create things for people you know, to help people. And so nursing is just natural in that. I have one or question, and then I'd also like to open this up to questions from the audience. So if anyone uh, joining the conversation today would like to ask Dr. Close a question, please uh, go ahead and put it in the chat at this point. I'm curious, given all that you've accomplished and the work that you are doing currently to spearhead these kind of systemic uh, innovation changes and initiatives uh, within the School of Nursing, if there is still any one particular problem that remains top of mind for you and for which you'd like to find an innovative solution, and that could be anything from a product to solve for a patient need, um, such as the, the Koala uh, car seat uh, that we, we spoke about, to a program to solve for a student need, to a nonprofit to solve for a social or professional need, whatever that might be, I'm wondering what's top of mind for you. Mm -hmm. Well, I can say about that, give me a couple of hours in the hatchery and a vibrant passel of students, and we could come up with a ton of ideas. This but uh, <laughs> often, so things that, I come from Texas and we used to say, you know, things get, there's a burr under my saddle blanket, the thing that really irritates us most or that bothers us most. So this is a ponderable idea from me. Um, I'm wondering, if we could use artificial intelligence and machine learning using social media and geodata to develop a model risk that would intercept or prevent mass shootings in schools. Mm -hmm. The data is out there, the mm -hmm. traffic, the information traffic is out there. Now, mm -hmm. parts of this may already be underway. It's not my area. So I don't have a natural understanding if that's already in play, but we could, it, saving lives, I think, is really at the forefront. So anything that can improve a life or save a life is uh, something that I would be very, very invested in. So I could go on and on and on. Um, I have no shortage of ideas. I just don't have enough time. But sure. I'm willing to entertain questions and um, really stimulate some more conversation around this. So uh, yet again, uh, concluding by putting the human in the human-centered design, I think that's a great way to transition to audience questions. Uh, mm -hmm. 
here's one, Dr. Close, thank you so much for being here and sharing your fascinating and uh, inspiring experiences. One question I have is about the relationship between seeing suffering and taking time to reflect on root issues. Mm -hmm. Suffering often demands literally and emotionally an immediate response, but innovation often requires pausing and taking a step back. So how do you balance this tension in your practice as an innovator? Well, um, there is a practice that's known as narrative medicine. Um, and nurses um, automatically practice parts of this, but narrative medicine has to do with the quiet space, just as you're as you mentioned, the reflection on it. I can observe, I can measure pain, I can measure dehydration, I can be bothered by the look in a patient's eye, I can detect that they're fearful. But reflecting on that, taking the time to sit across from the patient and just being is the time in which the ideas and solutions come. And then in partnering with a patient, tell me, explain to me in this moment, what would make your life feel better? What would, what can I do to help you feel better? And it's those individual things that after you put this patient's narrative down, and after you walk away with your own engagement in this narrative, this is when you can think about the collective because there is no shortage of suffering in this world, nor will it ever go away. And so this is how we incorporate these narratives into practice and actually can feed them right into innovation. This is a fascinating topic for me for many reasons. One, I was completely unaware of this concept of narrative medicine. Uh, that really is interesting. Um, two, I'm a former literature PhD, and I have always found narrative to be essential to understanding um, sort of how best to take uh, critical and reflective approaches to life generally. Uh, three, one common theme that has emerged in other episodes of Emory Innovators and also Mike Could, our other podcast series, is that an awful lot of the innovators we speak to were English uh, literature or journalism majors. And it makes me wonder if in fact this practice of both thoughtfully reflecting upon a human story that you've, uh, you've encountered and as you said, partnering with the person uh, that that narrative concerns to create a better story and a better solution is in fact the key uh, in some ways to, to innovation work writ large. I wonder if you have any further thoughts on that. Uh, I do. I really do think it, it may not be the key, but it is a central key. It actually begins the process going all the way back to design thinking. What is the problem? How do you truly understand what the problem is? And if you're not the person experiencing the pain or the suffering or the fear, you're just witnessing it. Sometimes the witnessing of it is a treatment in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the witnessing of it is what we take forward to develop the innovation. Hmm. I love that idea that the witnessing is potentially a solution in itself. And just that, that careful and thoughtful listening can be such a part of the solution. 
another question came from the audience that sort of crosses over for both of us. So I'll read it and give a quick thought and then uh, turn it to you. So thanks so much for this conversation. If a nursing student has a wicked idea to consider, how best can we start a project at the hatchery? How do we contact a member from one of the hubs you mentioned? So just to sort it out from our perspective, the hatchery is open to students from all schools to pursue any uh, question that you want to, to explore. Uh, and the hubs uh, that Dr. Close mentioned are within the School of Nursing. So I'll maybe turn that back to you. Sure. Um, and like I said, we are in the process of developing a pathway for this. But certainly, um, I'll give you my cell phone number and you can call me and I will get you on, on the right track. We haven't yet um, uh, actually um, created this pathway. But it's really important because someone, a student in an audience who's been in several lectures might have be building on some ideas and they need a place to put it. So for now, people are welcome to contact me and I will connect them with the directors of each of these hubs. And in the meantime, that will also help us create the pathway because the pathway is also a solution. So the student wanting a pathway is actually part of the solution. So one more that's come in from the audience. Uh, any recommendations for how other types of healthcare providers, for example, I'm a pharmacist, who are not affiliated with a university or a hospital system might get started with moving their innovative ideas forward? Oh, I think um, you don't have to be a part of a university to engage with someone within a university. You, uh, one of the first things you do in identifying your problem, if you're thinking of developing a pharmaceutical, is it like in the, in the drug development part of it? Is it in the drug de delivery part of it? Is it in the patient access part of it? Um, you can always engage with someone within a university who has all kinds of contacts. And one of the first things you need to do is to build the team. Take the time to build the team and gather the expertise. Um, and then it will help you develop your ideas through what we've been talking about here, which is the design thinking process. Mm -hmm. And then once you're far enough along in the design thinking process, you can be directed to the actual, um, the prototype builders or the drug development people or, or whatever. But because you're not affiliated with Emory does not mean that this is not available to you. So on a number of occasions, uh, a patient and family-centered approach, uh, or on a number of occasions you mentioned, rather, a patient and family-centered approach, how would you distinguish that from other approaches to medicine and healing? Well, um, uh, the biomedical approach is a patient comes in, you uh, enumerate the symptoms, um, you figure out the likely causes, it's cause A, B, or C, you look at um, the most likely cause and you choose it. It could be an ear infection, it could be a, a, a pneumonia, and then you deliver the medicine, which is a prescription or a breathing treatment or something else. The family-centered approach looks more at what is the patient experience of having this disease and illness, and that's where where nurses see the whole person. They see, it's, it's not enough for me to say, this is an ear infection, here's the prescription, I'll see you later, bye. I'm also concerned with 
What are they doing about fever reduction? What are they doing about feeding? How is it at home? Is the child sleeping? Are the parents sleeping? Can the parents afford the medication? Do they know how to use the medication? Do they, so nurses are thinking of all of these things. And that's why I, I think that we've been come to be known as more patient and family centered. We really see the whole person and the context of their presenting complaint and then how they're experiencing the illness. So that holistic approach, I think really speaks to why I've been struck by uh, school of nursing staff, faculty and students being such innovators because it really does reflect all steps of the process from seeing the problem to understanding its ramifications to figuring out the various uh, problems that, that that question might raise to figuring out solutions for each of those. You can see how it's a, you know, it's a multiplier effect. Uh, and for me personally, it's a pleasure to speak with somebody who understands innovation as a multiplier effect, understands it holistically, and has practiced it holistically as a strategist and a, a teacher and a, a hands-on practitioner of innovation and entrepreneurship. In all those optics, this has just been a lot of fun. And I, I really appreciate the conversation and the work you're doing. And we look forward to continuing to support uh, School of Nursing initiatives however we can. Is there anything else that you would like to sort of wrap up with today as we uh, move to conclude? I think have confidence that your ideas matter for anyone in that anyone listening to this, your ideas matter. You experience things in a new way, um, in a unique way, and other people may see or experience things in the same unique way as you do. So your ideas are valuable and it's worth more than just a conversation. So uh, take the risk, jump in, go to the beach and play in the sandbox. Um, and, and we can move things forward. Well, speaking of moving forward, we're going to end coming full circle with playing in the sandbox. I love that idea uh, and I hope to see you over at our sandbox soon. Um, and thanks so much, Sharon, for taking the time for this conversation. I think it was, it was very enlightening and I think it will be of real interest to students in nursing and all other schools who are interested in working on innovation. It's been my pleasure and thank you so much for having me. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye now. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Emory Innovators. To hear additional episodes, search Emory Innovators on Spotify to find or subscribe to this podcast. For more information about the Hatchery, Emory University's Center for Innovation, visit hatchery.emory.edu.